We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. Tonight, we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to do one all-22 game film podcast, and offense and defense in one. We're not going to do drive-by-drives. This was the ugliest. Was this the ugliest film you saw? I mean, it's this or Rams? I feel like this was even worse than Rams for me because... Glennon was on the field and not Jones, at least in the Jones All-22s. I'm evaluating something toward the future for this franchise or what could be the future of this franchise with Glennon. There's nothing to look at. I personally don't want Glennon back as the QB2 next year. I'll be really disappointed if they go into next season with him as the QB2. He's a disastrous QB2. I believe he's one of the five or maybe at best 10 worst Backup quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I can't, it's just, it's just ugly film. <laughs> so, you know, we don't want to harp on this and do like two full podcasts of us just breaking down bad, ugly film of the New York football giants because the defense was ugly as well. And the only reason they didn't give up 60 is because the Chargers stopped trying to score. There's nothing good about that. And we know some of you really don't like the negativity, quote unquote, though. I would call it objective analysis. I mean, I don't know how we can be positive about a team this bad. But the point is, we're not doing a full offense and defense film pod because that's not what anybody wants. So we're just going to go over some plays we liked, some concepts we liked from play calling standpoint, some things we don't like, some things we didn't like, some players who stood out for better or in this case, mostly worse. Uh, so on that note, Nick. How are you doing tonight, my friend? And where would you like to start? I'm doing well, Dan. I'm doing well, even though I was forced to get through the All-22 on both the offense and defense yesterday. Went through all the film, and it was just as bad as I remembered from Sunday. The New York Giants looked like absolute crap. This is a low point of the franchise, and I feel like we could say that after a lot of these types of losses where they just are not competitive whatsoever. But you had Mike Glennon in there at quarterback and there were interesting things I think you end up seeing on film some play calls that I actually liked from Freddie Kitchens but again execution wasn't there whether it be Glennon whether it be one blocker whether it be you know just a receiver not catching the football I feel like Darius Slayton is is guilty of that quite often I think Slayton has like 10 targets through the last two games and he has like two catches for 13 yards he's one of the most inefficient wide receivers I've seen in a while and it's just uh, tragically bad at this point and in fact, the Giants aren't going to have Kadarius Tony more than likely next week because he's on the COVID list. You have a lot of talk about the New York Giants just in the media right now with Dave Gettleman, who's going to retire and or you know get fired. But it looks like they're going to allow him to retire, which is fine with me. I'm not going to you know pull any gripes with that. But it looks like Joe Judge might also be back. Is something that's also leaking out of the organization. You have Leonard Williams injury. It seemed like it was going to be serious. Then it seemed like, well, maybe it's not as serious. So what's going to happen? And the same thing with Daniel Jones. It was word that he could play. And now it's like, well, maybe he's not going to play. It just seems like a lot of conflicting reports going on within Giants world right now. Would you agree? Yeah, it's a weird time for the Giants. Um, I mean, looks like this Carpenter dude was right (laughs) about Daniel Jones. He's probably not going to play again this season would be my guess right now. I don't think they're going to risk a neck injury in a season that's four nine. 
I know they're technically, quote unquote, at least in the graphics that we see on Fox or whatever we're watching, in the hunt. But this team ain't in the hunt. Even if Daniel Jones returns, this team is not in the hunt. Daniel Jones wasn't playing good football for the majority of the season, if we're going to be completely honest about what we saw in the film. I know there's reasons why the O-line sucks, the coordinator sucks, blah, 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 blah. But he wasn't playing well regardless of that. And so even if he does return, I don't see this team fighting for the playoffs. So I think it's too risky to bring him back at this point would be my guess is how the franchise looks at it. But all the other stuff is interesting to me. Not all that surprising. I would say there's one big rumor that we will touch on, but probably on the mailbag pods because a couple people asked about it. I'm curious to get your get into that with you because it's a fun one. Um, I'm curious to see where we're at. But as far as, you know, where this Giants team is at, what we're going to look to do with the film for the rest of the season, we do have to watch another four games on film. <laughs> and I don't want to say have to. Like, there's good things. This is what our, this is what, you know, Big Blue Banter is at its core. I think it's this, the film analysis, and the draft analysis, which is also based on the film as well. So it's really just the film analysis. And we want to make sure that we don't leave any stone unturned, right? Like in a game like this, I'll get to a little this in a little bit. I want to get your take on this, Nick. But I thought Billy Price had a really good game. I always try to look at that end zone angle when I evaluate the offensive line for, you know, watch every play twice, once on the sideline, once on the end zone. And or at least twice, I should say. Some of them I keep going over and over. This game had fewer of those. But I thought Bryce had one of his better games. It might be matchup based, but I want to get your take on that. And those are the type of little things I want to look for. Like, can a player build on something? Can a player string together four or five games on film that are pretty good? A player like Price or, uh, you know, someone just it doesn't have to be him, but somebody like Price who we can then look at like, OK, maybe we don't have to necessarily fill one extra position next year because they're going into this offseason with limited cap space and a lot of starting positions they need to fill and a lot of depth they need to fill. I mean, this would be a good time as ever to trade back, I think, just based on where this roster is at. But that's what we'll be looking at on film moving forward. And more importantly, we're going to look at, at least for me, at least it will be Freddie Kitchens, his job as a coordinator, as a play caller, as a play designer, because obviously these are Garrett playbook. This is Garrett's playbook, but. I'm sure there are some wrinkles that Kitchens puts in to some of these plays uh, that he believes will make them be more successful. And I did think overall, Nick, and I want to get your take on this too. So you can actually dive into either of those things, the price take, or cause we're just going to make this free flowing uh, or the kitchens take that I'm about to make. And then, or you can do them both in any order. But I did think once again, we saw better stuff from kitchens than we've seen from Garrett all season long. Some of the stuff is like so simple and it's just so wild to me. Like just the simple things that you talked about, Nick, and we've talked about for years now, like using bunch to get free releases on third downs. He does that pretty consistently kitchens. He's done that a lot and it's led to good results. The quarterback doesn't always see it. The ball might not always be placed right. Or the receiver might not always catch it because that's an execution problem. But this is like a simple thing that I really don't understand why Garrett didn't use more. Um, but I thought I saw more of that. I, I really like some of the things. It's obviously not a perfect game plan. He tried a lot of trick plays that didn't work. The execution's not there. Um, he still tends to run the ball in some obvious rundowns that I don't really agree with him on. But overall, even though in this game, by the way, the run game was the only thing that's working. Overall, I think I like what I've seen more from him than Garrett. So anything on either of those two takes? For Billy Price, man, as as of right now, I really don't want him to be the starting center in 2022. I think maybe the game, this game was probably better than a lot of the other ones. And I think that's matchup based. I also think it's the way the Chargers play defense. They more so invite the run and then right. trust those safeties and Kaiser White, who is a hybrid safety linebacker to fill very aggressively and very quickly. But they load up in a lot of light boxes, you know, a two eye to the weak side and then the three technique with the four linebackers, one being Chenna Nuosu, the other one being Joey Bosa, when they're not aligned in tight front, which they also do tight front sometimes when they really want to stop the run. But that front, I feel like those defensive tackles aren't necessarily good enough to really hold up the point of attack to allow those linebackers to always position themselves in a manner that's going to stop the run. And we saw the Giants have some success running the football. A lot of it happened kind of in garbage time, but we saw some solid runs from Saquon Barkley in the beginning. And I also think Saquon Barkley got tripped over his own feet a couple times as well, which is, I don't even understand that because I feel like that happens like once a game and it's kind of frustrating and it always seems to happen on plays that are blocked up pretty solidly. And then there were other plays where it was blocked up solidly, but there was one poor block. Execution is everything. And I, one comes to my mind. I think it was on the drive where the Giants ran three consecutive run plays and they had to punt the football. And that was right before the end of the first half. I think it was they ran a halfback draw on first down, picked up seven yards, then went right back to the run. And it was Matt Parrott who was in there over Nate Solder at the time. And Parrott just, 
I don't even know why he was stepping so far inside, but it allowed Graziano or whatever the guy's name is, Grazio, to just beat him around the edge. And Saquon Barkley couldn't do anything. It was a loss of one. And then they tried running the ball again. They gained two yards and punted the football back to Los Angeles. But in terms of running the football, Billy Price, I felt like it was solid. But again, I think that is matchup based. Everything else that we've seen throughout this season does not give me any encouragement with Billy Price being the center. And before I uh, kind of talk about everything else you brought up, do you have anything you want to weigh in there? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I think you're probably right. I One, I don't really feel comfortable with him being the center. Uh, but at the same time, like, look at it like this. Like, they're going to need some depth regardless, right? Like, they need someone who at least can put together like yes this is probably a matchup based performance by him and obviously Brandon Staley is of the new school let teams run on you uh, invite the run which is a smart way to coordinate a defense in my mind but at the same time like it's not just like starters the Giants need the Giants probably need like four new starters on the line three maybe if they're lucky they also need depth like they need backups they don't have anything this is just a fully depleted barren offensive line group I don't know how we got here to be completely honest it's just amazing to me that we got to this point when this was supposed to be the priority number one. Just it's I, it's hard for me to even think about, so I won't even get into it because I know people will say that I'm hating, I'm whining, blah, 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 too negative. It's not negativity. It's the fact of the matter. This is cr- incredible to be in this position, but they do need depth. So like I'm looking at guys even like Brett, like Price, and we're going to talk about Bredesen in a second because I want to get your take on that before we dive into the kitchen stuff. And I'm just looking for some glimmer of hope. Maybe he like this was agreed it's matchup based, but you know, not a horrific game from Price and <laughs> maybe his best of the season. And that's something maybe a positive. I don't know. Like they, they need something because I don't I don't believe Nick Gates is going to be a factor in 2022. I think that injury will take a minimum of one year. And I think there's even a decent chance he'll never be the same player he was, unfortunately. And so like they're in a spot where they need four interior guys, maybe five as a swing, like unless they can count on Isaiah Wilson, who we haven't even seen yet this season. So it's tough, man. And so I do actually want to get your take on the guard situation because in my mind, just from watching the tape over and over, even in this game, you know, with the reps were what 10 reps for Ben Bredesen versus 59 for Matt Skira. I almost feel like we're watching another Lemieux Hernandez situation from last year where the tape is showing one thing, like Bredesen is clearly playing better and <laughs> Skura is just absolutely atrocious in pass pro. This guy is just a terrible pass protector and he was awful in this game as well. And the coaches are seeing something different because they're still playing Skura for the majority of the snaps. Am I seeing it wrong or are you seeing it any different? And that doesn't mean necessarily wrong, but are you seeing anything different there? No, not necessarily. I would rather start Ben Bredesen at this point if he is fully healthy and recovered from his injuries. And that could play a factor. He could be, you know, healthy enough to dress, but they'd rather not play him. Because I believe Bredesen could be a building block moving forward. Now, maybe that doesn't result in him being a starter, but he's going to be on the roster. And I think he's a solid depth piece for the interior offensive line. So I I actually like the prospects of him moving forward. In terms of Matt Skura, man, he he gets beat a lot, dude. And and he has some bad tape out there. I remember when he first kind of came into the lineup, we were like, okay, this guy, Matt Skura, veteran presence, was doing pretty solidly. And and the last couple games have not been pretty for Matt Skura. So I, I much prefer to see Ben Bredesen out there. Yeah, it's gotten worse and worse for Skura. I'm not really quite sure why they're playing Skura over Bredesen for a multitude of reasons. One, the season's already lost. You should see what you have in your Ben Bredesen player that you probably had a high draft grade on because you traded what's going to end up being a top 100 pick in this coming draft for him. Uh, He's under contract cheap next year versus Skura, who you just kind of claimed. And I know he's had, like, maybe it's just a matter of, like, oh, they want to keep consistency and continuity. This is not the type of line you worry about. <laughs> continuity, because it's not working. It's horrific, and Skur is bad in pass, bro. But it's tough to watch this. It's honestly very tough for me to watch Skur in pass, bro. I just feel like it's never, it's never what you want it to be, and it's getting worse and worse. But let's touch on the kitchen stuff, because maybe that can help us open up some plays you want to talk about and that we want to talk about in this game. There are a few, some I dropped on Twitter and I know you have a bunch in your notes that you have, you know, underlined the stuff that we should bring up. So maybe we can get into that by first uh, transitioning into some discussion about Freddie kitchens, his play calling and his overall concepts and philosophy of calling an offense. Yeah. I'll start with just the first drive. I like that halfback screen on the first drive that went for 15 yards for a multitude of reasons. A, it's an easy throw for Mike Lennon. It slows down the pressure of the Los Angeles Chargers, and it was to the weak side. So you start off in, I believe it was 12 personnel, 
double Y set to the field. So you do play action to the weak side. Glennon hits his back foot and then Barkley runs to the weak side. And what that does is you're going to have a numbers advantage there if your offensive lineman can get out there, which they all do. Billy Price, Will Hernandez looked really good on this play and Mascara all kick out into space here. And I like the fact that they ran it to the weak side because you have two tight ends to the other side. But in order to account for those extra gaps, the D and E gap over there, the Chargers are going to have to align defensive players on that side. So you hit them with a play action, and then you get them scrambling backwards, and then you hit a screen all the way to the other side of the field. It's going to create a numbers advantage if your offensive line is athletic enough to kick out in the space, and that's exactly what happened on this play. And it sprung for 15 yards. And on the very next play, they hit the play action again while using tempo. I thought this was really smart by Freddie Kitchens to try and catch the Chargers on their heels because you could see right before the snap, all the Chargers are communicating a bunch of calls are all moving around. They, they were out of sorts of it. And Glennon hits the play action. Chargers start scrambling. Chris Myrick is wide open. No one accounts for him because Darius Slayton clears everybody out. And Kyle Rudolph is also on that side. He kind of goes inside, taking two defenders away. Myrick is wide open. This should have went for 20 yards, but he drops the football. And that goes back to the execution thing we talked so extensively about last week, Dan. This is actually solid play calling here. I didn't love everything from Kitchens in this game, but this was a good sequence of plays earlier to put the Giants into a position where they could maybe put some points on the board but instead you have chris myrick out there because there is no caden smith and he drops the fucking or he drops the freaking football you know what i mean and, and that's just like maddening because then you're in a second and 10 you run the ball pick up eight yards and then you're in the third and two and i, I kind of wish the giants stuck with the run here they were using play action but they aligned an empty which i don't love on this third and two here because you just picked up eight yards by running the football on second and ten. At least give the Chargers the illusion of running the football. You align an empty here and you run one of your bread and butter plays, double slant to the field, and it's covered really well by the Chargers here. They all zone match, close really quickly, and it's just an incomplete pass. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think you brought up some really great points on that uh, on this drive, Nick. For starters, I want to point out that I do agree with you. I mean, there are some things I liked from Kitchens in this game, and I feel like it's a relatively speaking evaluation in general because we've watched so much Garrett tape. Um, But there were some things we didn't like, which we're going to get to, too. I don't think it was by any means a perfect game plan uh, for this specific defense. 
And I think one of the reasons is what you brought up there. Third and two is a great rundown. You know me. Anyone who's listening to this podcast knows I'm not a big fan of running the football in general. <laughs> but I do like running the football from second and five or less or second and six or less. I actually really like it. And I like it a lot from third and four or less. I think running the ball on third and three or third and four or third and two is a great call in the NFL. I just don't really like it on first and 10 and second and 10. Those are the downs where I'd rather use an extension of the run game or actually try to attack downfield in the passing game and pick up a chunk play. That's basically my philosophy. And here he doesn't do it. He tries to, like you said, Go out of empty. The quarterback who you know, A, struggles with ball placement. B, struggles with timing and rhythm. Has not been really in this offense very long. Didn't even have a chance to practice last week because of the concussion. So that impacts the timing. That impacts the rhythm. Impacts all the things you need to be pretty much on point if you're running empty. So I don't like the call. I agree. It's a bad call by Kitchens there. Uh, But it was a great call on the halfback screen. In general, we've talked a lot, Nick, about how we believe a great, every great offense should, the screen game should be a big component of your offense if you have an explosive running back like the Giants do with Saquon Barkley. It feels like just in a short period of three weeks, the Giants have been able to create a screen game that's better than anything they had under two years of Jason Garrett which is just incredible to me. I know that all didn't work in this game. Some of the trick plays specifically didn't work, but they've worked really well comparatively over these last you know few games with Freddie Kitchens. And that's without an offseason to practice all the plays he's been running and all of the things that were working against him within the screen game. So that to me is a big plus. I like the Giants using the screen game, but again, yeah, I agree with you. This drive kind of bogged down there. And, and again, like I'll stand by it. I said it on the reaction. I'll say it again. Miss me with the punt on fourth and two here, man. Try to get some points. Try to get some momentum. Try to actually, you know, take control of this game and give your team something to get excited about on the sideline. A seven nothing lead against the Chargers, or you know, at worst, a three to nothing lead against the Chargers. But you know, when you punt here, you just you're, you're setting the tone for the game in my mind, and it's not it's not a winning tone over time. It's not you know, it's not even a winning tone right now for the current roster. No, it's not. I I would much rather have had them just run the football there. You were having success and you know, the weak point of the chargers is to run the football and, and try to establish the ground game there because it's one, I guess you could say vulnerability that they have on the defensive side. And I think the giants also learned who Michael Davis was in this game. They kept trying to challenge him. And on the next drive they did on the third down, they had the reduced bunch, something we'd love to see from the New York giants. And Mike Glennon saw the middle of the field close safety. And they knew he had a one-on-one matchup with Darius Slate. And I actually thought Glennon in the pass wasn't perfect, but it was a back shoulder throw because the coverage from Davis was excellent. And he actually kind of puts it on Darius Slate. It would have been a tough contested catch on this third and three, but Slayton ends up dropping it. I think he had like two or three balls that they, they weren't easy catch. But their catches that NFL wide good NFL wide receivers make. And I think it's to this point, man, with Darius Slayton, he's just not a good NFL wide receiver. Like you can't keep trotting this guy out there. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about Slayton now because you did make mention of him twice already. Um, and I think you're right at this point. He's probably not somebody you want in the lineup. I don't really think he should be taking snaps over John Ross, for example. Uh honestly, players, I know he's on the IR right now, but players like Dante Pettis have shown me a little bit more than him. I mean, Pettis ran one of the best routes of any Giants receiver early this season when he got that inside release on a, that quick slant and took it for, I don't know, 30, 42 yards, I think it was. Hmm. As far as Slayton goes, what the hell happened in our mind? Let, let's talk about what the hell happened because the tape we saw from 2019, this was a guy who showed a massive improvement from what we saw in film at Auburn to just one year, his rookie year, when it came to his releases on the line of scrimmage. That was what had me most excited about his game. Not only his releases off the line of scrimmage, but his release at the top of the break. I know we saw, I, I pointed out a good route I liked from him. I think it was the last game. I think he still has that aspect to his game, but the mental lapses, the drops, the inability to win 50 50s, you know, the lack of just like even what like a Jalen Guyton did in that game and separated deep. I know we don't really have much of a deep passing game on a quarterback who can really make those kinds of throws, in my mind at least. I know Jones can make some throws, but it, they're more anticipation deep throws. They're not like the fire it deep and when a guy gets lost in deep cover. Again, I'm not knocking Jones here, but he's obviously not making the throw Justin Herbert made in that game. But the point is, Slayton is not really beating guys deep. I don't really see the film where he's just burning people vertically. So at this stage, there's not enough of his game that, like you said, belongs on the field. But what happened here? Why is it, why is he regressed so much? I honestly think it comes down to 
him just not winning contested catch balls. I mean, his rookie season in 2019, he was winning these one-on-one contested, and it was like, wow, man. And you're right, from his tape at Auburn, which I didn't study him extensively while he was at Auburn, but I went back and I watched some of his Auburn tape after the Giants drafted him, and he seemed like a raw receiver, wasn't necessarily excellent at releasing at the line of scrimmage, but a good overall athlete who did uh, I guess, come in and out of breaks pretty quickly. I, I always thought he had that. And he maintained that in the NFL. And I felt like his releases off the line of scrimmage were just significantly more advanced once he got to the NFL level. But now he's just not catching the football, man. And he's, I think it's a confidence thing. And he's dropping easy balls. It's not even just contested catches. There are some catches throughout this season where he's just dropping. We saw little glimpses of this last, last season as well. He had more drops than he did in his rookie season and now i think it's just really in his head and these balls aren't perfect let's you know he's some of these passes are he has to you know adjust his body and it's not great but it's something you expect an nfl wide receiver to make and i think right now he's the most he has to be one of the most inefficient starting receivers in the national football league it has to be he's he has a catch rate of like 45 percent, man that's terrible yeah you're not wrong and one thing that i think has been missing from his game that I saw more on his Auburn tape, but I also saw a little bit, you know, on even some of his rookie season tape, he had the nice slant against the Jets, a few other plays like that. Is that breakaway speed, that breakaway ability? There were a couple plays on the Auburn film where I was like, oh my God, he outran an entire defense. And I just don't see that anymore from him. Or maybe that's not how they're utilizing him. There's not enough opportunities within this offense for it, whatever it may be. But that aspect of his game was supposed to be a plus and it just no longer feels like one. At this point, I don't see too much, you know, there's not too many traits right now that he's doing a real, that he's showing that are leading to him being a plus asset for them on the field for, you know, 40, 50 snaps, whatever you're playing, 80% of the snaps. No, sadly. And especially when you actually have wide receivers who can fill those roles, if they're fully healthy players like John Ross. And, you know, I'd probably rather have Darius Slayton out there right now than maybe a Colin Johnson. But I think that his snap share should probably be reduced a little bit in this game. How many snaps did Darius Slayton take? He played 46 out of the 69 total snaps. It's still pretty high for a guy who's kind of doing nothing for you right now. Yeah, and the worst case, the worst part about this is this was supposed to be the one, you know, day three hit that Dave Gettleman had in four draft classes, and it's uh, it's unfortunately looking like um, it won't be. I mean, obviously the corners have been all right. Julian Love's been okay. But as far as just like fifth round or later, and even those guys aren't like massive hits anyway. But, you know, I thought this was maybe going to be like a steal the draft type hit. We really felt that way after his rookie season. But unfortunately, it's trending in the wrong direction um, for the Giants. It is, man. So on that uh, on that next drive, I know we're not doing drive by drive, but did you see on the second first and 10 and then the second and 10 with 312 left? Mike Glennon almost threw two interceptions yeah. to set up <laughs> the third and 10 60 yard pass to Kyle Rudolph unbelievable yeah uh watching glennon man it's it made me yearn for colt mccoy which i never thought would ever happen no yeah i, I would never think that you would say that either but we said <laughs> man on the podcast we said look colt mccoy he's not going to press you vertically that's not his game but he's always going to ensure the offense is set up and ready to go against right. the defense that is opposite of him and that's what colt mccoy does but you don't see colt mccoy make many mistakes in terms of his mental acumen, his mistakes are like, Oh, I think I could fit the football in there. And it's like, nah, son, like you're, you're old, bro. You're, you're not fitting the football <laughs> in there. Glennon, I feel like just misses things far too so often, many right? things, man, but I got to give him credit on this third and 10 because Glennon stood in the pocket and the chargers brought two defensive backs. They blitzed here. They only dropped, I think five guys into coverage and they did zone cover. So everybody reacted to John Ross and the slant and nobody accounted for grandpa Rudolph over the top. Glennon read it. And he stuck in there with poise and fired a dart to Kyle Rudolph and then just got absolutely annihilated. So you have to give credit where credit's due. And that was a nice play, but that's the only really great play by the Giants offense that makes you be like, oh, wow, there you go right there. I mean, they had other good plays as well, but this was a 60 yard. This is the longest gain of Kyle Rudolph's career. And very depressingly, the longest gain for the 2021 New York Giants. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's kind of the the book on Glennon. I mean, look, even if you go back to the hard knocks with the Raiders, you remember that one where they had Glennon at quarterback and then they had uh, that that little small guy who was a smarter quarterback. I'm forgetting his name now. Might, Nathan, oh, no, Peterman. Nathan Peterman, right. Yeah. And you just saw the fr- level of frustration that Gruden had with Glennon because he's like, you know, he's talking about it in the team room. He's like, this guy is, is huge and he's got a huge arm and he just sucks. Like he's just <laughs> mentally, men- it just goes to show just how important mental processing is for the position and he's just obviously not good at it.
No, no, he's not. But it was cool to see Elijah Penny catch a touchdown in this game and then his brother, Rashad Penny, get two rushing touchdowns for Seattle. But uh, it's just another play-action pass. I feel like the Giants rely so heavily on play-action near the goal line, which is, which is fine yeah. with me. I mean, it's it's better than a trick pass, a pass, a little fullback leak into the flat where I think it was just played pretty poorly by the uh, defensive player. I'm not sure exactly who that is, but that's a nice catch and a pretty nice throw by Glennon. Again, he takes a huge shot from Joey Bosa here, and he lobs it, puts a little touch over the top of the defender, and Penny makes a contested catch for the touchdown there. So if there's anything we want to take away from it, it's the fact that our big fullback got a receiving touchdown. Yeah, solid ball here, and obviously solid play design. Good for the Giants to get any kind of touchdowns in the red zone. I mean, Giants red zone offense uh, somewhat improved in this game, to be completely honest with you, from what we saw for weeks, if we're going to be just honest about the situation, the entire season with Daniel Jones. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. They scored a few times in the red zone. That hadn't been happening. There was that play, and the play we're going to get to later, which was a great route by Barkley. I don't really think Glennon did anything different on these that Jones than, than Jones could have done. Like, I think yeah. Jones could have hit Barkley. I think Jones could have hit Penny. Um, but maybe that means, you know, good job again. More kudos belong to Freddie Kitchens for designing some plays and calling some plays that are a little bit more effective in the red zone with this kind of team and roster they have. Yeah, and one play actually that I, I haven't seen film. I think you highlighted this on Twitter, and it's a huge knock on Mike Glennon because Saquon Barkley was wide open in the flat, and Glennon unexplicably did not throw the football to him. But this was a two-by-two two set pre-snap, both reduced inside of the numbers, right? So they're stacked on top of each other, both receivers. And Saquon Barkley gets motioned from the backfield to the field side stack, and they basically form a triple stack. And I haven't seen this yet on film. I don't yep. believe I have, at least. So basically, have three receivers releasing off the line of scrimmage, Kyle Rudolph, and I think it's Darius Slayton clear out. And Barkley runs to the flat, and nobody accounts for Saquon, and Mike never sees it. That could have been a nice big gain, get the football into Saquon Barkley's hands in space. It's something that Freddie Kitchens tried to do again and did a pretty solid job at, ended up getting the touchdown a little bit later on in the game, which we'll go over. So I do love the the aggressiveness of Freddie Kitchens to, to get Saquon Barkley the football in space in a variety of different ways. He's not just doing it with screen passes. He's not just doing it with handing the football off, but he's motioning him to triple stacks off the line of scrimmage. It's just the quarterback didn't read it well here on a third and three with 10.55 left in the second quarter. Yeah, you know that I put this one up on Twitter. This was something new, something we hadn't seen, and a really good design to get what you want here, which is your explosive back, your most explosive player in space, somebody who is a – Bonafide home run hitter, Saquon Barkley, in space, and you have two things working here with this play design. One, an easy read for an easy conversion. Two, a chance for more because there is a ton of space. I don't know what happens with Glennon because it looks like he looks, like you said, he's in looking in that direction, snaps back to the other side. I don't know if that's the point. Like he's supposed to look there to throw the defense off and then come back left because it's just so odd that he doesn't make this throw to Saquon. It's such an easy conversion, the chance for more. But, you know, this is what happens when you don't invest in quarterback too. You get mistakes like this. You get horrific play like this at times that are just you know, all throughout the game. I mean, nobody wanted Mike Lennon. The Giants were able to sign him near the veteran minimum. They they couldn't afford McCoy, according to them. McCoy went for too much to Arizona. They didn't have the money for it in their minds, just like they, quote-unquote, didn't have the money for Kevin Zeitler, their only consistent and good offensive lineman from the 2020 film. And this is what happens when you don't invest in positions that matter. I mean, you have games like this. You have, we're, we're watching Glennon the rest of the season, yearning for the potential of Jake Fromm, who's probably going to suck too because he was a six-round pick with almost no arm talent and doesn't know the playbook. And so this is where we're at. And this is part of why, Nick, I want them to invest in quarterback. I don't care if it's not to replace Jones. I just need talent on in the quarterback room and on the field in practice and there in case Jones gets hurt again next year. I need talent. I need something. I need some kind of hope at this position, man. I can't, I can't do another Glennon here. No, I know what you're saying, and we'll see exactly what ends up happening. And then before that half, we brought up this drive a little bit, and I, I think it was an interesting sequence of plays. I wanted to get your take on it. It was the it was the play, it was this halfback draw, seven yards, and then the negative rush by Barkley. And did you watch that third and four? The Giants decided to run the football again. It's okay. They were having success doing it, and they would have had success if Matt Parrott knew how to block a defensive <laughs> lineman. But on that third and four, man, I think this is on Saquon Barkley, dude. It's a yep. pretty light box here. The Giants get a free release from their center up to number 49, their linebacker. Everybody's blocked up, but I feel like the defensive linemen, who are both a line and three technique, do a great job kind of restricting and trying to position their inside shoulders into the A-gap to make everything tight. But if you watch 99, I believe that's Jerry Tillery, do that. 
there is a big cutback lane off the ass of Evan Ingram, who is lined at H-back and then hitting the B-gap. I felt like the Giants did a pretty good job running the football and adjusting their run game to bring an H-back. And it was Chris Myrick sometimes, but it was mostly Evan Ingram into the B and the A-gap, kind of as a lead blocker whenever the defense would align in a position to kind of force double teams. So there would be slower climbs up to the linebacker. You have the H-back to pick up that first defender near that gives the running back a little bit of space. They had success running the football in the second half because of this. And it was also because the Chargers kind of took their foot off the gas pedal a little bit. But on this third and four, 256 left in the second. Saquon Barkley has this big cutback off of Tillery, who's closing inside, and he just goes to cut back, and then for whatever reason, cuts back towards a bunch of bodies and and gets tackled. I mean, I think that's just another example of Saquon Barkley not reading the field in front of him well. Yeah, I think you're 100% right, and I did notice this, but to me, it's starting to unfortunately become commonplace. I think this is just a great example. And I'm, I'm, and I think, I don't know if you're planning to, but if not, I might throw this one up on Twitter because I didn't earlier, but this is, this is worthy of talking about because it's a good example of how slow processing can hurt you. Like you, one thing I've noticed about Saquon throughout his career with the giants, he's really slow to see cutback lanes. Like watch the Vikings last night on our last week on primetime against the Steelers. Watch how fast Dalvin Cook diagnoses those cutback lanes and how decisive he is in picking those cutback lanes. It's the point where he's not going to run into a bunch of bodies because he's already processed it fast enough and made the cut decisively enough that he beats all those bodies to that spot. And it's not much, you don't have much time there. Like you have to make this decision quick and you have to see, and you have to have the vision to make that decision. And he just doesn't have that. It's not part of his game. It was never part of his game at Penn state. A lot of the cutback runs you see at Penn State or some of those, you know, cut back to the middle field runs are just like kind of um, what's the word, uh, you know, <laughs> improvised. They're like improvised runs. He's really he was, he's pretty good at improvising in space. But those cut those design cutbacks like where, where you see it, where you have it here, it's just so obvious to us on film. Well, it's not as obvious to him, apparently, obviously. Um, and so it's just not a part of his game. And I think you're right here. This should have been a first down. This could have been a big play. Even we see it with Dalvin cook. We see it with all the really good runners. We don't see it, unfortunately with, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely unfortunate. And we see that a similar running concept later in the game with Kyle Rudolph coming through the a gap, as I said, and you see Saquon Barkley really follow his block here. I'm wondering if this is something that the coach has kind of tipped off to him at halftime because um, this plays a little bit more better, better blocked up mainly. And I'm referring to the third quarter, five Oh five left the first and 10, mainly because yeah. of the penetration of the Chargers. they were shooting the gaps. And I felt like the giants offensive line did a good job allowing them to shoot the gaps and steering them in their desired direction. I feel like the giants offensive line, their best games have been against teams that are really, really aggressive in terms of penetration. Now the chargers weren't always like that. They, they weren't like that a lot of this game, but on the plays that they were like this play, I'm referring to the giants allowed them to penetrate giving Saquon Barkley wide open lanes. I feel like the giants did a good job against the Raiders who were really aggressive in doing yep. that. They did a good job against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, when they did that and, and that even allowed... dating back to last season, they did a great job of that against the Seahawks in the one game where they ran for 200. Yes, yes, exactly. And some of those runs too. a lot of that was counter. And I think I only saw maybe one or two counter runs in this game. There was one early. It might have been on the first drive to pick up about four yards. It's just crazy how the Giants kind of changed. They didn't use counter all that much this year. Last year was literally the yeah. primary run that they ran. It's a, it's a great play. But another reason why they may not use it as much anymore is because Caden Smith's been injured for so long. He's excellent in that sniffer role. And because, let's be honest, I know we we, we harped on him because he was awful yeah. in pass pro. But Shane Lemieux was pretty damn good at running count, like at, at in run blocking in this on this play. He definitely was. Yeah, Shane Lemieux is a much better run blocker than Will I can't Hernandez. believe it, Nick, but I actually miss Shane Lemieux. I miss him a lot. Wow. And I know I, we were both pretty harsh on him. I mean, he was god awful in pass pro, but I, at least he was good at run blocking. These guards are horrible at both things. They're not good. Yeah, they're, they're not good. I mean, I don't want to say Will Hernandez is horrible, but Will Hernandez, and when we talk about, he's just frustrating, man. Cause it's like, bro, you should be good because you put good film out there. And then you just yeah. like look lazy on some plays and just look lost. And like, I don't even understand how this guy who is, you know, 50 pounds, 60 pounds less than you is just tossing you around. Like, how is that happening? And then I see you move a guy who's 320 pounds. It's just wildly inconsistent. Yep, you're right. And 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 but more so for me, but at least like he just doesn't feel like he's ever going to develop into the weapon in the run game. No. I thought he might be coming out of UTEP. No, I, I don't think he is either, man. I, I really don't. And uh, another play that I saw, another play action 
This was a play-action rollout. Did you see Kyle Rudolph wide open? It was uh, the third quarter, 444 left. And at this point, we're not going to go through the plays too much more. We'll probably break down some of these trick plays because they're interesting. But it's 30-7 to at this point. So the Giants are getting desperate. They're having success running the football because the Chargers are basically like, all right, we're, we're kicking the crap out of them here. But Kyle Rudolph, man, he could have had a much bigger game because he was wide open on this play kind of against the grain. But Mike Glennon tries to force it into Kenny Galladay, who not to, you know, talk bad or talk ill on Kenny Galladay, but I do deserve or I do believe he deserves it. And he doesn't really come up with a lot of contested catches either. And the balls aren't great, but what did we expect when the Giants signed Kenny Galladay? We expected him to win some of these 50-50 balls. How many 50-50 balls has Kenny Galladay won this year for the New York Giants? Yeah, I think I, I wonder if some of that has to do with just the, the combination of injuries, of time in and out of the lineup, lack of practice, changing quarterback. I mean, that shouldn't actually that really more, have too much of an impact I, for 50-50s. But I think I it has know. a little bit more to do with uh, – bad ball placement from the quarterbacks. Yeah. But it seems like there's at least three or four every game now. That's a lot, man. You would imagine that he would come down with one or two of them, and he just really hasn't. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not – it was supposed to be his calling card. It was his calling card in Detroit. Hasn't been here. I, I do tend to think, though, just from remembering some of the film with him and Stafford – it's it is so much ball placement too. Like some of those, he would just reach up and get. But like he hasn't had many chances in my mind like that in this with either of these two quarterbacks, really. No, not many. I think there have been times where it's like it's contested, it's difficult. Yes, good receivers may not make this catch, but if you're built as a contested catch receiver, sure. maybe you come down with one or two of those. Fair, totally like, fair. I think that's hundred percent fair. Fair yeah. criticism for sure. I just think. You know, maybe he's he's more of a contested catch away from his body type of receiver. I think the ones that he's had trouble with are like the in, that kind of inside his body. Yeah, and that's also on the quarterbacks. I felt like Stafford puts it put it like you exactly. said really high and away from his frame, whereas yep. Jones is kind of putting it a little bit lower, and it, it doesn't allow him to leap and use that unique yep. jumping ability. But even with yep. that said, I still kind of stand by what I was alluding to because yeah. I do believe that he should be a little bit more impactful despite his trashy quarterback play. Yeah, no, for sure. And I want to talk about, I mean, you mentioned, you know, he's got Kyrie Rudolph open here. There were a lot, in my mind from watching this film, there were a lot of mysteries. I have a few just in my notes. We don't have to go over them all. But there were whole shots that could have been taken. Some of them, you know, coming from that bunch formation that Kitchen's doing a better job using. And he just doesn't take those shots. He doesn't see those shots. It's just what you get. This is bad quarterback play. The Giants are not, they don't have a good quarterback play right now. And so that's unfortunate. I do want to go over the Saquon Barkley touchdown because, you know, we, we harped on him last week for a really bad receiving game. He had two drops. He had the one route I really thought was bad um, on that inside move. And this one, he had a really nice route. I mean, he freezes the defender with that inside step and then goes and gets, you know, creates a, a crap ton of crap ton of space on that vert route in the red zone for an easy pitch and catch from Mike Glenn. What'd you make of this one? I love this, man. You're out of an empty. It's a three by two set and the Giants ran a double move. It's something we've been clamoring Jason Garrett to to run and Freddie Kitchens runs it here and he catches an overly aggressive cornerback trying to take a slant basically to the house here. And I thought it was a really nice route by Saquon Barkley releases up the line of scrimmage, chops his feet at about four yards, turns his shoulders, gets a little bit of a head fake, not a Devontae Adams head fake. If you watch Sunday Night Football where Devontae Adams, that was it's insane head fake that he put on that, that defender crazy. Uh, for, for the touchdown. But still, it's a very nice route by Saquon Barkley, really sinks his weight and then explodes back upfield. Kenny Galladay runs a deep post, which kind of removes Nasir out utterly from that area. And Glennon reads it and fires the football and it was a mismatch and it was a touchdown. So I thought that was a good play call from Freddie Kitchens and an excellent route and just overall execution from the New York Giants. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to get on, and this is probably my last point in the offense, and I'll turn it over to you, Nick, and see if you have anything else you want to wrap up on. I just focused a little bit on Chap. You know, he's maybe I think I don't know if he's exactly 100, percent but he looks pretty close. And he's the type of player that really just runs really crisp routes. I love watching him on film. Yeah. He has so many, so few wasted steps, and it's just it kind of gives you that it gives me an idea of like how to evaluate the position better in my mind. It gives me a better feel of confidence when I'm looking at receivers because I'm I see what I want to see like Shep the way Shep runs routes with that with so few wasted steps that's how it should be done and that's why he creates so much space in his route running um and so that's just something I noticed on the film just a little throwaway line no I think Sterling Shepard is an amazingly talented route runner who I'm sure we'll get into this in the mailbag may not be a New York Giant next year, which is unfortunate because I do believe he is an excellent football player who is going to thrive if he can stay healthy.
Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Anything else on the offense before we start uh, talking a little bit about the defense? Yeah, those two trick plays, man, were were they not interesting to say the least? I mean, I think um, the guy, uh, Stink, who was doing the the play-by-play and the announcing uh, said, like, it's hard to pull trick plays off when the defense doesn't respect you at all. And that's an excellent point. But I understand the Giants are down like 37 at this point. And this is a double reverse, the first trick play. Double reverse from Saquon Barkley, who was stacked to the boundary. They hand the football off in front of Glennon. And then he pitches it back to Darius Slayton, who then pitches it back to Mike Glennon. This wasn't a deep shot. This was actually a screen that was played incredibly well by Uchenu Nwosu, who was the end man on the line of scrimmage to the field side. I actually, like, I don't want to say I like this, but I understand it. I'm not going to knock this play call as much as other people were. The Giants were down so significantly at this point of the game, and it was a screen. And it wasn't like we're going to trust Glennon to bomb it deep. If Uchenna Nuosu doesn't play this well, and he ends up kind of getting allowed upfield, Nate Solder kind of blocks him right, or actually I think it's Kyle Rudolph blocks him right into like where the where the screen was supposed to go. If Uchenna Nuosu doesn't read this, this could have went for an incredible game if you watch the film here, because you have three blockers and nobody else in that area with one block. Well, you have four blockers. One of the blockers is going to be blocking number 44. And then you have three blockers with nobody else in the area. That could have been a big game there. And at this point of the game where it doesn't really matter all that much, I'm not going to really knock it to be honest. Yeah, I think you're right on. And I think you're spot on with that. I'm not going to knock it either. I like the creativity as well. Anything else on the offense side of the ball before we move forward and talk a little bit about the defense? No, not necessarily. They also ran a flea flicker, but I mean, it was against a too high defense. There was yeah. really not not much there. Glennon just ends up pitching it to uh, Devontae Booker for a small gain. Yeah, talking, you know, throwing throwing the flea flicker against the too high is probably not going to work out too often. Um, nah, at least not and they read it too. They seem yep. to read it pretty easily. Yeah, they done a, They did a good job in this game reading the Giants' trick plays. Um, I don't know if that's based on the film they've seen. Uh, you know, the, the tendencies of Freddie Kitchens as a play caller, at least through these weeks. And I'm sure Freddie Kitchens is like, what the hell do you want me to do? I have Mike Glennon in this offensive line and no Kadarius Tony. Like, I have to try trick plays. I have to try something to open things up. So, uh, you know, credit to him for at least trying things. Some of these have worked out pretty well. The, the throwback screen off the flea flicker to Evan Ingram a couple weeks ago was just great design, great execution. Um, all right, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the defense. Um, we'll do some film stuff there. I want to ask you. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start it like this, and then you can get into some plays, maybe. But I'm gonna go based on your notes and see if we can riff off some of the stuff you have in there that stood out to me as stuff that I thought was worth expanding on and talking a little bit more about. So you said, based on your analysis, they ran more man coverage than normal in this game. Um, there was tighter throwing windows, but you know that didn't really matter all that much with a quarterback like Justin Herbert. I think this is kind of what we expected going into this game. This Giants defense hasn't done well against elite quarterbacks. Justin Herbert is borderline elite, on the verge of elite, certainly looked elite in this game, um, and just ripping through zones and ripping through tight windows. Like you said, more man coverage wasn't even the answer, even though it should have been. Like You can't play zone against this guy, in my opinion, right now. So is that something you thought was just kind of matchup based, or why do you think they were running more man in this game? I think it was more adjustment based. I feel like earlier in the game, they were running a lot of too high or cover four. So a lot of middle of the field open type of looks, a lot of coverages that are more focused to eliminating the deep ball. But that's going to open up zones in the short to intermediate parts of the field. And you can even see on the first play of the game, person 10, 12, 25 left, Mike Williams catches this football and there are three giants within two yards of him at the catch point. That's how tight the window was, but the chargers are just really good at using, you know, geometry to, to create space. They released two wide receivers with Mike Williams as the number one, and he runs a deep curl basically on the numbers. Josh Palmer is the number two. He's going to clear out kind of the underneath defender and then occupy the safety. And they run a flare route, which is going to suck the underneath defender, which creates just enough space between the linebacker, James Bradbury and Logan Ryan, where Mike Williams is just going to sit in the soft spot of the zone and catch this football because Justin Herbert is going to zip it right in there. And that happened a lot early on. Justin Herbert was just slinging it through this cover three zone, through this cover four zone, any kind of zone coverage. So I think they adjusted a little bit to play a little bit more man coverage, but it didn't really matter at the end of the day. And it wasn't like a lot. It's not like they're playing more than 50% of the snaps. It's just they typically yeah. play around, you know, 15 to 20%. I feel like just watching the film was probably a little bit more than that, but I don't have the numbers in front of me. Yeah, it had been even lower at times, like in the nine to eleven percent range. But you know, against a quarterback like this, you're right. You just they tried to run some cover for early. They always show that like too high look early and then adjust. It's kind of been the Patrick Graham book for the season. Like bring out early on the first drive, almost always have too high, and then kind of 
base your game plan off of that first drive. But against this quarterback, you can't do it. You just you just simply can't do it. This kid's too good. He's got too good arm talent, and he's get, starting to get locked in. Like he's you know, he's got a great left tackle. He's got an improved offensive line overall, and they didn't even have Keenan Allen in this game. Like they haven't even like they're going to get even better with this kid. I I, I hate to. I told you this before the pod, Nick. I, it's it's so hard for me to talk about Justin Herbert on this podcast. I'm happy we only have to do it for one game, and he's not in the division. That would be an absolute disaster because I think right now there's no quarterback besides Patrick Mahomes that I'd start a franchise with, and that includes Kyler Murray, who I love, and I still don't think I'd take him over Herbert right now. Would you take any quarterback over Herbert besides Mahomes right now? That is a good question that I would really have to uh, think about. Herbert's definitely in the conversation. I, I think Kyler would, would it really gives him a strong run for his money. Pat Mahomes to me is still one hundred and one. Uh, it's but yeah, it's it's definitely a conversation. Like I would I would have put Lamar in that, but he's probably not in that conversation for me right now. As exciting as Lamar Jackson is, he's not quite there. Dak has not looked good recently, so I mean, yeah, Herbert could be uh, the one B there. Yeah, if you you know, if Eli retires or if he doesn't retire and you bring him back and you have Josh Allen from that pick, like, you know, you take the obvious pick there that we all wanted, Josh Allen defensive end, edge out of Kentucky instead of, you know, jamming Jones down the throat and fall in love with him at the senior bowl. I, I still believe, man, that Justin Herbert would have been the Giants quarterback. I just don't think they're winning that many games in 2019 with Eli at that stage of his career. The offensive line, where is that? Even adding a player like Allen, I don't think makes that much of a difference. What does he have? 14 sacks in 27 games. He's been solid, but he hasn't been like Micah Parsons level. Um, and so, you know, they come back into that draft. Dolphins still probably take Tua. Burrow still goes one. I think the Giants are sitting there in that five, four, five, six, seven range, and Justin Herbert lands in their laps because we know they loved him. Dave Gettleman had the quarterbacks ranked from the 2019 to 2020 class as Justin Herbert one, Daniel Jones two. You heard that right. Kyler Murray was ranked behind Daniel Jones, according to what the Giants are looking for and want out of quarterbacks, which is just shows you all you need to know about why this regime has been so broken. But it's just tough to talk about. I'll, I'll end it there. I don't want to harp on it, but you know, watching this kid pick apart the zone and the Giants have to adjust, play more man, that doesn't even work. It's just like this is what it looks like when you have hope, when you have a quarterback who you know is going to be close to Super Bowl contention at any point. It might even be this season. Like they're eight and five, they could win the division if they beat the Chiefs this game. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting Thursday night game for yeah, sure. And then that. One of the more disappointing aspects of this game from the defense wasn't even the fact that they were giving up, you know, 15 to 20 yard chunk plays to to Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer and Mike Williams. And, and their zone was getting picked apart. And when they adjusted the man, there were man beaters that exploited James Bradbury, who I do think had a good game. I mean, the second play of the yeah. game, too, if you want to even just look at that, James Bradbury, you can see he executes his assignment, but he looks right back at Justin Herbert and sees two crossing routes coming at him. He watches Justin Herbert's eyes, and he baits the crosser and almost picks off this pass. I think he had another play like that a little bit later on as well. James Bradbury is a phenomenal cornerback, but he's a much better zone cornerback than he is a man cornerback, and he's not the elite-level athlete that a lot of, uh, I think, teams are looking in cornerbacks. It's probably one reason why the Giants ended up getting him. He's an excellent his own quarter. He's one of the smartest cornerbacks in the league, in my opinion. I but, agree. Yeah, like he really is. And it shows up. Every, we saw it. We, we applauded him last year. It's still showing up now. He's not coming away with as many interceptions, but he, he could have easily had one right here. If this was a lesser quarterback, <laughs> I hate to say it, but if this was Daniel Jones throwing this ball, this is an interception. It's just Justin Herbert has so much zip on his ball that James Bradbury's a little bit behind on that second play of the game. 100%. There's like maybe four or five quarterbacks who have the, the kind of velo- velocity there to have that not be a Bradbury interception, but that's not even, you know, a knock on the quarterbacks. That's just more kudos to Bradbury for just unbelievable awareness. His awareness level on Madden should be like 99 or a hundred. Absolutely. And one of the things I feel like was most pointing about the in this, the fact that they couldn't stop the run, dude, the, the horizontal stretch run, the zone stretch game, the outside zone stretch zone, rushing attack of the chargers just created massive cutback lanes. And I felt like the giants linebackers were such liabilities in this game. And it's weird because Bernardrick McKinney had a pretty good game in terms of when you watched it on the broadcast angle, he kind of filled really quickly and delivered a nice pop a couple of different times, had a few stops near the line of scrimmage and that's all well and good. But there were times where Tay Crowder and even McKinney was out there. And then also Reggie Ragland 
where they were trying to, you know, flow laterally, scrape over the top of blocks, reading their keys, and they just guessed wrong. And they lost the cat and mouse game, creating this huge cutback lane where Julian Love or Xavier McKinney kind of had to fly down to make a tackle. I just felt like the Giants really struggled. And I referenced this earlier in the year, and I believe it kind of came up again here. It reminded me of that game in 2019 against the Dallas Cowboys, where they just kept running Ezekiel Elliott outside zone, and Ezekiel Elliott outside yeah. zone. And the New York Giants couldn't do anything to combat it. And it seemed like it was similar here because when they went to it and it, and it wasn't even their primary method of, of attack here, but when they did go to it, they were just running off, you know, chunk plays. And it was just like the, the linebackers are not in position to slow this down right now. And it's just, I always feel like it's frustrating. We don't see it too much from the giants because they're typically a good run defense. I always find it frustrating when a team can just run the football down your throat and you can't do anything about it. Like if I was a Buffalo bills fan right now, Dan, I would be like, yo, dude, this, this is not it right now. Like we need to clamp down because if you're just getting abused like that, it has, it's one of the most deflating feelings in football. Yeah, I think that's there's a lot to unpack there, but I think that's so I don't want to miss any of it. But I think that's kind of why, you know, you still have some of these coaches with that old school approach. Like, let's be a run first team. Let's dominate the run game because there is a physical aspect and an element to this game. I think Mitch Schwartz, uh, former tackle for the Chiefs, did a great job breaking that down on Twitter a couple weeks ago. It's just hard to get to that point, and it's still a bit low ceiling for me. <laughs> just overall, I'm still waiting to find team, you know, a team that can do that like four or five years straight and be contenders, rather than like the, the, the occasional outlier season. I'm not going for outliers, but let me say this, Nick, because I did notice a lot of that outside zone killing the Giants as well last season against the Baltimore Ravens. I'm actually pretty surprised teams don't just kill the Giants like this with why, you know, why, you know, running to the edges all the time. Because they haven't had a, a, the defense is not set up schematically to stop it. B, they don't have the personnel at the second level at all to stop it. And so, and C, they haven't actually stopped it or shown any film of being able to stop it. I, I, I mean, we haven't seen it that much for what it should be. I feel like teams should be doing it all the time against the Giants until they prove they can stop it. And I don't think they can with this current system and more importantly, the personnel. Which leads to my next point, Nick. I'll be a big proponent this offseason. I'll start it right now. I need upgrades at linebacker. I don't know how it's going to be done. Again, we don't have much capital to work with from a free agency standpoint. And, you know, the Giants haven't tended to invest big picks at the second level linebacker position. Uh, and certainly if he can come back healthy, this will be a much better defense with Blake Martinez, who a lot of people have talked about as a potential cut candidate. And I won't be on board with that. Unfortunately, I mean, again, I understand the argument there. He's an older player. You don't really want to be banking on an older player coming off an ACL. But the flip side to that, which is me, is I can't stand watching Tate Crowder as the main linebacker in this defense. And I can't stand watching Narjic McKinney, for example, as their number two. These are just not NFL caliber linebackers, and they're killing the Giants, like you said, on some things that are just ba that basic to good linebackers like Blake Martinez type. So, you know, man, I really think that this has become a massive position of need. I'm curious what your take is on where the, what the Giants should do at inside linebacker and if you view it as as big of a need as I do. It's certainly a big need, but I, I think we can't rule out Blake Martinez coming back. I think that's going to happen. At least I'm I'm hopeful that that's going to happen because he's going to be – he was and he is invaluable to this team, especially when they like to run tight front, puts a lot of stress on these linebackers to scrape over the top and position themselves well. Now, you don't necessarily need to stack and shed as often when you're running tight, but when you're in this you know, uh, two, three techniques or a, that's more of a uh, passing down, but when you're in like a two-eye and a four-eye shade with two outside linebackers outside the tackles, you need those linebackers to be quick to fill and, and kind of evade the the second or the, the offensive lineman who's climbing to the second level. And I feel like McKinney did that a I would say okay in this game. There were a couple reps where I saw that and I was like, okay, you know, he dips his inside shoulder and kind of shrugs off the center and then positions himself to make a tackle. But I don't see it consistently enough from the linebacking unit without Blake Martinez. I, I mean, I look at Micah Parsons right now. I mean, he's just a unicorn. He's just doing his own thing. Like he's insane. But I, I think the whole devaluing of the linebacker position is, uh, it, is an issue sometimes. It depends on the defense you run. I think that's another huge part about it. Like a linebacker, maybe in like a, uh, a more cover three based, like the Seattle Seahawks, eh? a linebacker in that system where you have a buzz defender coming down is probably not as high of a priority as a linebacker who is going to be tasked to read read his keys and, and react front in a manner to where right. he's going to always have to be in position and those defensive linemen may not be able to make the play because they're going to be eating blocks. Like I feel like it's uh, 
the linebacker position is still something you need to invest in. You can't just overlook and then plug and play players because then you're going to have these second level defenders who can't drop back, who can't blitz adequately. And you're going to end up with a bunch of Tay Crowders, a player who I, again, think is good enough to make an NFL roster, but not a player I want playing 50 plus snaps. Sure. Yeah. To me, he's a, he's an excellent bench type guy that you can use in the case of injuries, but you don't really want and is ultimately hurting your team. He actually had one of his better games from what I've seen on film in a long time. Um, so definitely, so definitely something to invest in there. I want to give a shout out and kudos. I know he doesn't listen to this podcast or I'm sure he doesn't. I don't know that for a fact, but I thought Dexter Lawrence, who I was a little harsh on last game or the game, he had 33 pass rushing snaps with zero pressures. Um, had a really nice game. This was probably the best game of the season that I saw on film from Lawrence. He was everywhere. You even made mention in your notes, and I saw it too. They used him a, a couple times at the edge, like lined him up at edge. I mean, ended the game tallying with two, two quarterback hits, three hurries, a sack, six total pressures. That's what you want to see. Like, if he could do this every game, then the Gettleman would have hit. You know, this would have been a great pick at 17 if he could do this every game. Unfortunately, he hasn't been able to do this every game. He really hasn't been able to do this really any games. This is like once of every 10 to 12 games, we'll get a game like this. But I do want to give a shout out to him for really impacting the passing game the way I want to see an interior defensive lineman impact the game. I'm wondering, because his role changed in this game, and I'm wondering how much of that was a product of the fact that they were like, let's just try different things, or we want to align a defensive lineman in this position, and Leonard Williams is not here. So let's give Dexter Lawrence a shot and see how he performs, because a lot of the times when you saw him at edge, the game was already out of reach. But you're right, man. Dexter Lawrence, this is his best game I saw this season. I'm, I am wondering, though, how much of that is a product, the fact that Leonard Williams wasn't there, and maybe the Giants gave him a little bit more of an expanded role. Yeah, that's a good question. That's something we can also probably look into as we move forward. That's something that we can kind of start to take notes on. And I'm going to write that down now in my notes because I want to see if, you know, if Williams does loot, you know, end up missing the rest of the season or even just this game, how will Lawrence be used? And can Dex can they find something for Dexter that can unlock him? I still feel like this is somebody who needs to be unlocked. They invested the 17th overall pick in him and he ha he can move well for his size. And obviously in this game, like he looked good as a pass rusher. Like he was making, he was disrupting a lot of plays in general. So yeah, that's something I'll be looking forward to as well. I mean, he ended the game with six run stops as well. Like he was in the backfield a lot. I mean, we're not doing superlatives on this podcast, but if we were Dexter Lawrence is by far and away the best player on the defense. Without a I doubt know the defense on this tape. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he, he was phenomenal in, in both phases here. And the defense was not good overall. They were up against another offense that was superior in terms of a lot of the league, right? So whenever the Giants play one of these Rams type of offenses, these Chargers, these Cowboys, they suck. They, like The defense right. kind of gets exposed sometimes. Now, it didn't happen against the Chiefs. I think they played a really good game there, had a really good game plan. The Chiefs weren't great offensively, but still, anytime you're going up against Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill, it's going to more than likely be challenging. And I feel like they played well there. But against these Chargers on the road, this, it wasn't even a matchup. But they did come up in certain situations, man. I, I mean, I felt like the Giants gave – the Giants' defense gave their offense opportunity and then the offense squandered it. And it's something that's happened quite often because they even had a stop within the two-minute warning that, you know, we're, we're probably going to forget about. You know, they forced a third and 11 because they had a run stop near the goal line. Bernard McKinney made an excellent play. Then they forced a Justin Herbert incomplete pass on second and 11. And then it set up a third and 11 where Dexter Lawrence got great interior pressure and they almost got a safety forcing a punt. Giants offense couldn't do anything with it despite good field position, gave the football back to the Chargers where they had a blown coverage and Jalen Guyton split two safeties. And it was just a miscommunication between Xavier McKinney and Logan Ryan. And I think it was just a great, well-designed play by Joe Lombardi because he had two deep routes from the outside to just occupy the safety's attention long enough. And both of them, the one on the, uh, the one to the, I think it was the boundary broke inside and the one to the field broke outside. So both those safeties had their eyes on that. And you see Xavier McKinney communicating to Logan Ryan, like you got the number three, you got the number three. He's like waving his arm to him. And nobody got the number three. Logan Ryan wasn't in position because Logan Ryan was paying attention to his deep route that was just behind the linebackers. Just excellent scheme, excellent nose wise, and it created a miscommunication. Split the safeties and went for a 59 yard touchdown. Yep, you're damn right. And obviously, the throw on that was just phenomenal. Just yeah, next stupid. level stuff. Just stupid, stupid raw arm talent ability. One final shout out for me, and I want to get any other uh, final thoughts on the defense from you. 
Austin Johnson, this is a Ron Schneier favorite. For those who don't know, Ron is my dad. He loves Austin Johnson. He's like, he's talking, we were watching the game together. He's like, that Austin Johnson, man, he's not a bad player. He's not a bad, and he's right. Like, Austin Johnson's outperforming their con- his contract. That's a rare case for the Dave Gettleman era. There's only for a very few select handful of players outperforming their contract, but he's one of them. And so I'm happy they re-signed him. I think he's a good example of why you shouldn't invest massive things in the, in the you know, in the interior defensive line. Uh, obviously, the Giants haven't followed that, but maybe moving forward, the next GM will take that up because obviously there's a massive amount of talent across the league at the IDLs. There's a massive amount of depth and you can just find guys like Austin Johnson off the scrap heap and turn them into contributors. And I, and I like what I see from him every time I watch the film. Yeah. Austin Johnson plays really well. I, I like what I see from him as well. And uh, I thought Julian Love was hit or miss in this game. I'm trying to think of like other players. Aziz Ojolari <laughs> wasn't all that great in this game. Was shut down a, a couple lot decent by reps. Rashawn. He had a couple of de- decent reps, and I don't believe a lot of them came against Rashawn Slater. I think a lot of them came against Storm, <coughs> yeah. Storm Norton. And then I think one of them was a, a, a. Did he have a sack in this game? I think he was credited for a sack, and I'm, I don't believe that was against Rashawn Slater, who also just looks the part on the film as oh, well oh my god but there was one yeah yeah, it's, yeah it sucks man there was one blitz i did like though and this is you know garbage time 30 to 7 third and five with 1304 left in the fourth quarter the giants a line in a with a two technique over the guard to the strong side and then a three technique which is raymond johnson and they run a, a basically a double tackle stunt where raymond johnson slants inside and dexter lawrence uh is the looper around Raymond Johnson and then on a delayed blitz is Tay Crowder who initially is stacked right behind Dexter Lawrence pre-snap. But once Dexter Lawrence goes, Tay Crowder kind of hovers behind Lawrence and he allows the protection to pick up the stunt and nobody accounts for Tay Crowder who runs right in the middle to flush Justin Herbert out of the pocket. But of course, Herbert evades it and picks up 10 yards. But I thought it was a nice creative five-man pressure package. We imagined that Tay Crowder would be utilized in the blitz package. We saw it a little bit in the week prior now they did it again this week. It just didn't really result in much. And I thought on that same play, Zizo Jolari had a really good rep against Storm Norton, just kind of getting to the top of the arc and, and also kind of creating pressure on Justin Herbert. Yeah, no doubt about it. Obviously, you know, late in the game, garbage time, but still good to see. Anything else on the defense before we wrap up, Nick? No, I hope they're uh, hope they come back against Dallas and they don't get just absolutely annihilated by that outside zone. Me too. <laughs> Me too. It's going to be tough. I think I think you're right. I mean, if Dallas Smart, they'll, they'll run like that. Dallas hasn't been as in sync with the run game and on offense in general, but, you know, that's a good way for them to get going for sure, as you mentioned. So hopefully that's not the case. I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Absolutely. All right. Thank you to everybody tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast, sticking with us through the All-22 during games like this one. We got a couple other things coming this week. We're going to do a mailbag show. It's probably going to have to be a two-part mailbag, so two different shows. Um, so many questions, so thank you all to per, uh, for those of you who drop questions in. That'll be something to keep an eye out on because we'll be doing that pretty soon. So take a look at the feed, and also, as usual, let us know if there's anything you want to hear from uh, hear about, I'm sorry, I should say, the rest of the season because we'll definitely look to get into some of that as well. So have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.